0: Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with Sam Hurd. He's a wedding photographer from Washington, D.C., a wedding and portrait photographer from Washington, D.C. in the Baltimore area. I'm pretty sure, though, he is not, he doesn't, he, I'm pretty sure he doesn't just shoot weddings in <laughs> in Baltimore that's, that's and D.C. In fact, if I had to guess. Uh, based on what I know about him. He travels a lot. So we're going to hear today, we're going to hear about his story. And uh, I think this is going to be super, super entertaining. And like this dude is pretty well known. So I'm pretty excited to have him on. So Sam, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Let's uh, let's take off. I want to hear all about you.
1: Thanks, Corey. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you having me on. I'm excited to talk a bit. I have um, shoots every day for the next three days, so it's nice to do something non-photo related for a little while. I'm also in the uh, when I'm not shooting in just the editing cave right now. This time of year is pretty uh, pretty intense for for weddings, uh, and I think my last wedding. I have two more for the year. I have one this Saturday, and then. Uh, I'm going to basically have four weeks off and have one like three days after Christmas and I'll be done for the year. So I cannot wait for that moment. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. You know, just out of curiosity,
0: how long does it take you? When you edit a wedding, what's okay. your, how many pictures do you, would you say that you take or an average way? I know it differs. From- I,
1: I hit a pretty consistent average. It's shocking. Uh, so I photograph most weddings are eight hours long, and uh, that yields about 4,500 to 5,000 images from the whole day. Um, I call that down to about 800 to 1,000, and then uh, the final edited is, is usually right around 800 uh, that I send to the client in their full gallery. Um, that turnaround time takes six to eight weeks. Uh, but That's mostly just me. It doesn't take six to eight weeks to edit. In fact, it usually takes me. When I sit down and I'm very focused, you mentioned I do a lot of travel. uh, So one of the things I've done is gotten really good at getting my workflow portable and do most of my editing on airplanes. And uh, when I'm really focused, disconnected from distraction and the internet and stuff, which tends to be easy on an airplane, I can knock out an entire wedding beginning to end in about three and a half hours. That's (laughs) fantastic. um, So do you... Do you think that, you know, it's interesting to me
0: because, you know, people, I feel like balk sometimes at wed- high wedding prices. And I think they don't realize the, the amount of editing and the amount of work that you have to put into, I think they look at it just as the wedding day, right? That's kind of how they gauge yeah. it. And they think, wow, this is a lot of money for just one day's work, but it's not
1: just one day's work. No, no, of course not. Uh, you have client meetings leading up to it. You have emails back and forth. Uh, you have an engagement session, probably. That's a solid four hours of time. You factor in travel and editing, maybe maybe eight hours once the final gallery is delivered for the engagement session. So you're talking easily like 30-ish or more hours per wedding of, of time invested. And, you know, that's not even accounting for the scarcity of time that weddings occur, you know, it would be a very different market if people got married consistently on a Monday afternoon. Like that just does not happen. There's a finite number of days that people get married. Uh, you know, there's a certain window of time when, when the weather is consistently the best. And so that just drives up uh, the cost of everything uh, dramatically and you know it would be a very different story if yeah I could take on work on a Wednesday but I I can't I mean occasionally I get those weird weddings that are on a Wednesday but that's very rare and um, you know there's good reason for that people want their wedding on the weekend and uh, so people can you know stay out late and party and and all that like it's just the way it goes so it, it is good money but when you really start adding up all the hours it's kind of just like anything else Um, and that's not even accounting for the difficulty of weddings as a photographer I find uh, you know I come from a a press and news background and I find weddings are you know exponentially more difficult than that because it covers literally every genre of photography all within the chaos and and pressure of you know family and this one-time event that you don't get to redo if you screw up like that's you know, all of that just, again, drives up the cost and the value um, of your vendors and and what's going into the whole, the whole equation. So yeah, it it is frustrating. And I can totally relate when people are like, it's $5,000 for eight hours. It's like, yeah, but I wish I could put eight hours, parentheses, you know, 30 to 40 plus, you know, 10 years of experience that I have.
0: (laughs) Right, Right. 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 So another thing too, you know, I, if I'm not mistaken, Wedding, a wedding photographer is one of, I don't know if it's in the top five or 10, but it's, I'm pretty sure it's in the top 10 of the most stressful jobs in the U.S.
1: That's fascinating. I would love to see that list. (laughs) I mean, it is
0: really close to being, up. you know, it's, it's for sure in the top 10. It's, it was mind blowing to me. But if you think about just exactly what you said, you said, you know, you have all the chaos of one day and you get one shot at creating the pictures for that bride and groom and mom and every damn body.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You get one shot. That's, That's a
1: it. lot of pressure. Yep. Yep. Um it is, it is. And I don't know, you have to have the right personality for it. I see a lot of people come and go. It seems like the average burnout is around the three-year mark and then around the seven-year mark. <laughs> Even people that are really, really good at weddings or the stress doesn't bother them still uh, creatively and just the sheer volume of photos that you work through, uh, people get tired of it or just burn out and, and, and are unable to, to keep up. So you really do have to have like, the perfect personality for it. And and I'm very, very thankful that I do. I know I do. I I wouldn't do anything else on this planet than exactly this as a profession. I feel very lucky for that. (laughs) Uh, Of course, I have periods of like, I feel like I'm not doing as good of work as I did. Last wedding, blah, blah, blah. Um, You know, I I still have periods of self doubt and, and, um, you know, uh, just being feeling overworked. But at the end of the day, I'm always grateful and thankful that I, I found this, as my job. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, it is very, very stressful for certain people. I, I, and for me, it has never been about stress. Like, actually, that tends to be sort of a motivator for me in, in terms of uh, pushing my creative limits. I'm I'm the least creative person in the world unless I have something kind of pushing my my back. My back has to be against the wall, which I often find, whether I want it or not to be that case, uh, happens during a wedding. You know, you you just have to be good at improvising. and Things can, can change, you know, the flip of a coin. In terms of weather in terms of suddenly a limo driver hasn't arrived so we have to do all the photos here in the hotel lobby instead of where we may have planned at a different location like whatever it is something goes wrong on a wedding day and that's when i tend to do my absolute best work (laughs) so i'm very grateful for that compared to the work i did in photography before weddings which was very structured very you know somebody is giving a 20 minute talk at a podium I just sit there and photograph them speaking in front of a microphone, very static, not a lot of room for uh, creative expression. <laughs> so I'm glad you mentioned, you know, your,
0: your the burnout in creative, being creative. How, what do you do to, you know, when you get to that point, when you get to the point where it's like, you know, let's just say hypothetically, it's that burnout. Like, you know, I feel like I, I just can't, I, I don't feel like I'm as creative as I was X, Y, Z went. What do you do to reignite that fire?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the easiest things is uh, simply get different equipment. (laughs) Like literally, I I majored in computer science in college, so I've always had a – you know, affinity toward the technical side of photography. And I'm always interested in in the latest and greatest stuff. Uh, Not, and it's not just to see what is newly capable in technology, but literally to, um, yeah, keep an interesting new, fresh perspective because I've got a new lens or a new uh, sort of way of thinking about an image because this camera has a new feature that one didn't previously. Like that's the simplest thing to start with is just refresh the equipment you use as often as you're able to, you know, obviously that gets expensive, but, uh, that's one approach. Uh, the other is, um, kind of pushing yourself, uh, in terms of what is newer in the technique side of things, you know, whether it's, um, something like the Brenizer method, which is like a stitched panorama technique that creates a really interesting bokeh effect or shooting through prisms or shooting through like all sorts of uh interesting things that uh, tend to surface on kickstarter these days um there's always something kind of new that you can take it with and then also just staying humble and realizing that no matter how many times you've done this it's, it's always new for the couple and you can derive inspiration uh creative inspiration and emotional inspiration from their energy and you know where you are in the space at that moment that you're able to work with them. The light, for one, is always changing. Even venues that I've shot a dozen times, I've never been in the exact same spot at the exact same time of day where the light was exactly the same. Like That alone will unlock an entirely different perspective to the exact same space. Um anyway, I could go on and on about different approaches to things, but at the end of the day you have to remember it's the first time for the couple, no matter how many times you have know, done it as a photographer, uh, you need to put your mind sort of in, in that space. For sure. Uh, that tends to enable a lot. Yeah.
0: So okay, so you mentioned that uh one thing that you do that makes you know fires your creative side is change equipment. Um, from what I understand and, and tell me all about tip. So people, not people companies send you their equipment to try. Am I, am I correct on that? Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep.
0: Walk with who, who, and what do they say? What tell me how that works? Because that's, that's really cool. Obviously they, you must be pretty good if they were <laughs> going to send you equipment and you don't, you also rate it and, 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 and give a review. Yeah, I do so a lot of speak.
1: reviews. Um, so that's actually my, my personal Policy has changed a bit over the years. I, I used to. I've had companies send me cameras, send me lenses, send me stri- anything you can think of, and um, you know I would gladly take it because it's free stuff and and why not uh, try it out? But um, ever since uh, you know I launched this thing called Patreon, which is essentially like a subscription. Uh, paid feed that photographers can subscribe to, to get access to my reviews and opinions on things ever since launching that um, I've had an ethics statement on there that I wrote that says I am not paid or given anything by any company because I don't want that kind of influence weighing on the back of my head. Like, yeah, Sigma sent me this really great lens for free. I'm probably not going to say anything bad about it. Or even if I do point out bad things, I'm going to, you know, bookend it with really, really positive things. Like I don't want that weird thing in the back of my head. Now, if a company sends me anything, I tell them, happy to review it. I'm going to give my honest opinion. If I hate it, I am probably not going to say anything at all. And I'm going to insist that I give this away. So what you're basically giving me is a donation to somebody else, another photographer that's going to win this via a, a little contest or something that I might run. I never keep it for myself anymore, but the whole mechanism of like getting your visibility uh, in front of companies like that really is a result of a lot of the educational and conference work that I do. Uh, You know, oftentimes companies are there, you know, they have little sponsor booths and stuff and you just get to know people in the industry. The more you give talks at those events. So. So Sam, do you uh,
0: realize, I'm sure you do, but I have to point this out. You know, the (laughs) fact that you, that these companies send you, Uh, the equipment, and then you give it away, do you realize what you're doing? And I know you don't do that. And I know you don't do it for this reason. I know you don't give the stuff away. So it comes back. But do you realize that's what's happening? Right? You give the equipment away, and you're doing something so cool for somebody else. And you, I don't even know if you thought about it this way. But the return for that, in terms of you know, receiving whatever, uh, gifts in life, uh, bigger weddings, better, whatever it might be, the universe in which I believe in, you know, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it reciprocates when you do stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. it's so
1: powerful. So powerful. Yeah. I guess I've never sat down and like literally thought about it in words exactly like that. But I think in general, that makes sense. You're going to have people spreading positive, hopefully positive message related to, you know, your name. Uh, if you do something you know beneficial for somebody else and hopefully it does work its way back to you some way, but of course it's, it it's difficult to think about because it's impossible to track. It's It's so hard to draw a direct line. And, you know, I found that with my wedding clients, so many photographers are desperate to like the magical answer to getting more bookings and more inquiries and more weddings. And it's like, at the end of the day, it has to come from, you know, you, you start with friends and then friends of friends and you usually start pretty cheap and affordable because you've never done this. But if you really do good work, exceptional work, and you're a fantastic person to work with on the actual wedding, not just the photos that you deliver, but like your personality, um, yeah, years down the line, they're friends of friends and uh, people speak up for you and remember you and, and that finds its way back eventually. And that is by far and away my biggest source of uh, inquiries and leads. It's just from previous clients one way or another. Um, so yeah, there is no like magical bullet for that kind of stuff. <laughs> I hate to say it, but yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Being a good person, you
0: know, and, and, and mm-hmm. doing, you know, it's funny because, you know, I know that obviously you, you know, my wife, she, I swear she'll come home and she'll say, yeah, I, X Y Z happened. So it's so forgot this. And so she, she does whatever she has to do to make sure that damn wedding is flawless, even if it's Mm -hmm. not her job. And I don't think Mm -hmm. some, I I really do believe that there most people probably would say, oh, well, if they forgot X, Y, Z, well, that's just, you know, sorry. You know what I mean? And so they're not going to get a lot of recommendations doing, they're handling their business that way. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by Housecall Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, Housecall Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes.
1: Well, and photographers have a very unique position in that no other vendor is around uh, the couple as as much. Even the wedding planner is going to be physically in a different space most of the day. And so you as the photographer get a front row seat to managing all the oftentimes little flare ups that occur and, you know, kind of have to problem solve your way through that or even if you don't have the answer and you're incapable of solving the actual issue uh comforting your client and making them feel like it's going to be okay regardless Uh, but oftentimes you're you're exactly right there is something you can do uh as a photographer to help people and um you know i suppose videographers also have a similar position but uh most videographers i work with tend to have even more of a hands-off approach to um yeah like getting in the way <laughs> sure. thankfully but uh, anyway yeah the photographer again i say it all the time we're, we're basically uh like part-time planners <laughs> yeah. like yeah there's no way to avoid that even if you wanted to like so much hinges around the photos getting done and yeah you, you are the witness to everything that uh, occurs throughout the day it's crazy
0: yeah absolutely it is it is crazy it really is i mean it's um it's mind-blowing sometimes okay so now that we've kind of talked about some of the photography stuff i want you to dive in and i want to learn about who you are how you know where you came from what got you into this what who is sam Hurd? uh
1: great okay um i guess you know, my my first real, quote-unquote, real camera I got in high school, like most people. Um, I was, I've never, ever been interested in film photography. And so my first camera that I used in any serious way was a digital camera uh, made by Sony. And um, my best friend, who is still my best friend even today, uh, also got one. He is a doctor now, an anesthesiologist, so he went a completely different route in life. But uh, we would hang out, you know, a couple times a week uh, taking photos. And, you know, that was most of what I did in high school other than playing music. Uh, if I'm being honest, though, music was really um, my, my passion for the longest time. That's what I really tried to make into a career until I just kind of had to realize, no, that's just going to be my, my hobby in life. Music is my hobby. I'm making money from photography, so pursue that. But music is sort of what I put most of my focus on until after college, and uh, I always took you know took photos of things just for fun. Never really photographed people seriously um, at all. It was mostly like landscapes and, and kind of macro shots, the way I think probably a lot of people start with photography. Um, my best friend and I, his name is Tucker, uh, he went to a different university than I did. So to reconnect every summer, we would try and plan a two or three week backpacking trip, either in the U.S. or um, over in Europe. Sort of the cliche, like American, you know, going to Europe <laughs> with their backpack, staying <laughs> in hostels. We did that whole thing, <laughs> we did that whole deal. Uh, but it was always with an emphasis and uh, priority of getting good photos and, and visiting places for the photography, not just, um, not really the people at all. We met fantastic people along the way. Um, so, it, it, you know, I developed a bit of a portfolio from that, but nothing serious. And, you know, after college, I was scouring Craigslist for um, jobs. You know, I was hoping to find something in the music industry. Wasn't really finding much. Uh, found a listing for this place called the National Press Club, which is, uh, I had no, no, awareness of this place until i actually interviewed with them 100 year old uh organization right in downtown dc a couple blocks from the white house um huge huge space and imagine sort of a it's basically a country club like a private country club for for journalists like actual you know journalists uh print news anchors whatever and so to keep the doors open uh, they have a couple restaurants a couple bars and then a bunch of like old uh rooms like event spaces that they rent out for press conferences what better place to have a press conference than where journalists are already hanging out anyway throughout the day um so anyway i went and interviewed with them and uh was offered a job as their staff photographer so i worked there for almost seven years full-time every single day uh they would you know when clients would come in to have an event there they um would have the option of you know do you need a microphone check mark here yeah you need a microphone do you need a speaker do you need a tv do you want a video camera do you want a photographer and if they said yes then that was me i was the only photographer on staff and um like i mentioned earlier it was super fun and exciting at first but quickly became creatively uh stagnant and i would have to like invent games to like challenge myself because photographing like one or two people standing at a podium gets it's pretty boring topically it was interesting to hear what people were speaking about it was usually cutting edge like news that you would see on the you know on cnn later that day but visually and photographically is it was, it was a, not that great I <laughs> um, so that's that how i like kind of lucked out getting into photography uh, as a professional Um and i learned mostly by observation a lot of these events would be uh pretty high profile so they would draw a lot of freelance photojournalists from all over DC uh, most freelancers will just pop in at the beginning of an event like that uh, shoot for like 10 15 minutes get their shot upload it to the wire and then they're on to the next event somewhere else in the city uh, me being a staff photographer I would stay the entire event but I could observe and learn from these other professionals kind of uh, you know doing the, the run and gun type of thing. So what kind of people
0: are we talking about here? You said some pretty high profile people. Can you talk, can you say like who?
1: Yeah, I mean, everyone, uh, everyone came through the press club. Uh, I I mean, presidents, governors, I mean, all sorts of politicians, congressmen, senators, everybody, and then uh, occasionally, uh, you know, celebrities from the, the most famous to, you know, the, the D-list. <laughs> uh, a lot of times celebrities would attach their name to a, you know, an event or an organization that uh, they believe in for, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, that event would bring the celebrity to their press conference just to generate buzz and awareness. Um, and again, I had uh, complete access behind the scenes, uh, not just at the event, but in like the, um, maybe the, Oftentimes, if it was a really high profile person like George Clooney or somebody, they would have like a VIP reception ahead of time, in a, like a smaller area, and, and I had free access to, to meet them and shoot that.
0: Versus that's pretty cool. Other
1: photographers that would only get access to the event, you know, once they're actually giving their their talk at the podium. So it was an amazing opportunity, but um, once I started shooting weddings, I realized uh, that's where my... Heart and passion is so. I was glad to eventually leave the press club. I mean, you know, not glad, but I'm glad to have found something uh, more fulfilling. I should say. Sure, <laughs> sure. So, who was
0: uh, I assume George Clooney is someone who you photographed since so you brought his name up.
1: I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Okay. So, do you still do you still photograph some
1: of these people or no? Uh, occasionally. Uh, I'll still take those events on. They still funnel a lot of their photography through me, but uh, n- most of them these days, and I don't know if that's the result of the news industry now or social media, where most celebrities can just kind of tweet uh, if they want to raise awareness about some organization. Uh, just not as many you know, really high-profile people come through the uh, the press club anymore. And sure. I've been... So I, I shot there for about six or seven years, and it's probably been about six or seven years since I worked there full time daily. So a lot has changed, um, but yeah, occasionally I'll still shoot events there as they as they pop up if somebody really interesting. But that's yeah. kind of cool. Okay, yeah. So before we go forward, so what about before
0: you were twelve? How how was your childhood?
1: Um, pretty standard I guess Uh, you know my uh, single family or single parent household uh, just my mom and and then I have a a younger sibling Uh, my mom raised us and she was in the Navy until I was about five my mom was in the Navy throughout the 80s and uh, so we traveled a lot um, you know living on bases and such Uh, and then we ended up in Colorado Springs for a couple years that's where my mom was born and most of our extended family are in that area Colorado Springs and then uh, eventually, we ended up in a place called Lynchburg, Virginia, Central Virginia. Uh, my mom's basically been retired since um, leaving the military. So she was always at home, uh, you know, raising us and my mom always, I think, assumed I wasn't much for academics. I was not very good in school, not a, a stellar uh, performer, test taker, whatever. (laughs) Uh, I learned violin really early. I was passionate and gifted at at that, again, with music and everything. But school was not for me. And so my mom always assumed I think I would go into the military. I was in the ROTC and all that kind of stuff, um, from you know, early on. And then I ended up getting into college and just going for computer science because I liked computers enough. Um, But, yeah, I mean, pretty pretty straightforward. We were in Lynchburg from, I guess, when I was seven years old all the way up until – you know, I left home for college. I moved out when I was 18 and never moved back. So I'm not the cliche millennial that, you know, (laughs) moved back home after school. I, uh, most of my friends in college ended up looking in the DC, Northern Virginia area for work. And I was very fortunate. I graduated in 2008, like right when the economy economy was collapsing. And I was so glad to get two job offers, uh, you know, one being at the press club. And the DC market in general was completely insulated from that entire catastrophe because it's so much federal government in the economy around here. Right. And, uh, so yeah, I, I got a job and, and that's sort of how it's going, but yeah, I still visit home often. My mom still lives in Lynchburg and Virginia is a big part of my life still. Uh, and my sisters ended up over in Austin, Texas and she does, uh, she works for a tech company. So.
0: Okay, uh, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, All right. So uh, you were saying that you um, where did you leave off, Lord? I'm sorry.
1: um, We were hitting everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we are. So you uh, you said that. So after you left the uh,
1: job, yes. Mm -hmm. You you is that when you started weddings? So yeah, it was a couple years overlap. I was always very aware of the financial situation of being self-employed and how terrifying that is. And so I, I stayed at the press club until I just absolutely physically couldn't take it. My last year working there, you know, I was at the office shooting uh, or editing at the press club from nine to five, Monday through Friday, like any any regular job, and also shooting 40 weddings a year. And uh, only once I started to pick up in the travel uh, for conferences and workshops and destination weddings is is it, is, that's when I decided, you know, I, I need to leave the press club and I was making way more money than I needed to to survive, which was also a necessity because so many photographers shoot weekends on the wedding to start out. So they have like dual incomes essentially uh, and it's terrifying and problematic unless you have a very strict budget to, you get used to all that extra money essentially laying around and, you know, so many people make the jump To full time not realizing just how much it's going to hurt to lose that steady paycheck (laughs) and so i was very insistent on staying at the press club as long as i could until i was making almost double you know what i needed just for my wedding work and i was very fortunate with that
0: so 40 Um, weddings you were doing 40 weddings a year when you made the leap wow so what does that look like today like what do you do per year
1: i shoot i shoot fewer now um partially just because uh i do a lot of travel and travel wears down uh wears me out a lot more than it used to and um you know i don't know jet lag is part of it just physically being um in a different space all the time than than being from home is mentally exhausting so uh yeah i, I shoot about i'd say i average about 30 35 now which is still a lot uh, i shot as many as 55 in a year but i have no plans to do that anymore um and i've been very very Fortunate to have started this this patreon thing I mentioned earlier, that has become a, a very meaningful uh, significant part of my revenue, and so that kind of work I can do from home uh, and it's all photography related, but it doesn't necessitate me being somewhere physically you know it's just educational content that I make as a video, as an article um, or whatever and then post it on patreon. so yes. that has been a really great buffer financially as well
0: definitely dive into that the patreon thing a little more and so that way the listeners can understand exactly what it is that what
1: is it yeah. yeah it's uh it's hard to explain it's become a lot more popular over the past couple of years particularly in the u.s but you know you can it's a it's a big big company i think they got about 200 employees patreon was started i think in 2012 maybe 2013 okay and uh, the ceo and, and co-founder uh jack conti he's a musician himself and his band uh, was actually pretty well known, pretty successful in terms of um, just people liking their music and knowing who they are, but not financially that successful because they were always an indie band. He would spend, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars of a budget on uh, to create a music video for a song, upload it to YouTube. They would get millions of plays, and they would see maybe you know five thousand dollars in ad revenue, uh, which was incredibly. Stress, uh, you know problematic for him and so yeah. he decided to start patreon as a way to sort of crowdfund um uh creative projects now it isn't specifically for musicians anybody can post on there just imagine um a feed like on your on instagram or a facebook feed or something like that uh and you know you as the creator can post whatever you want but say you have a post that's a particularly high value like uh a really in-depth write up about some photography technique that you want to explain to people or um, you know a really awesome photo that did really well on Instagram and a lot of people asked like how did you do this what were the circumstances you know what lenses did you use all that Um, basically you can flag any post you want in your Patreon feed to be accessible only to people that are actively subscribed to your feed and you you have complete control as the creator over how much you want to charge people basically I have a $10 tier And anybody actively subscribed to that $10 tier, it auto charges, um, you know, at the first of every month. If they've paid at the beginning of the month, they get access to everything I post and flag in that tier. So I sometimes make public posts. Most of my posts are exclusive and only accessible to that $10 tier. And a lot of them have to do with, uh, yeah, just equipment or technique type of uh, write-ups that or workflow stuff you know how i manage um family photos or how i manage posing just you know, really educational stuff that has a lot of depth to it um and uh anyway but all sorts of people use patreon for all kinds of reasons it's actually really, really popular for podcasts so really? if you don't use it yourself cory you, sh- you should check it out yeah a lot of yeah, podcasts I, have big big columns on patreon okay. yeah a lot of them have, and what they'll do is like an early release of the episode to patreon uh patrons that support them you know maybe a week early they get access to the episode or i know some podcasts that will do you know the regular episode and then like 15 minutes of follow-up that's exclusively only posted to patreon and so that just motivates people to want to support you and exist without having to you know, resort to ads um which a lot of creators use um sure. so anyway yeah patreon uh you know i've got over a thousand people there now and uh it's it's just fantastic
0: that is fantastic. Okay, so is there, are there any add-on charges or it's just that flat $10 period or is there, are there For things- me,
1: it depends. So I've got two tiers, a $10 and a $19. They, they're, they, get, access the, they get access to the exact same content, but I limit the $10 tier um, so that basically the early supporters of me there from years ago uh, get the better deal. So sometimes people leave that $10 tier and a spot opens up, but usually that is sold out um, because I just want to incentivize people to stay and get the better deal. And then, yeah, like I said, if you can't get into that tier, then it's the $19 tier, (laughs) which hurts a little more. But, uh, you know, every month I post tons and tons of content. Uh, Give me an idea. When you say
0: tons and tons of content, like what does that look
1: like? Like two days ago, I posted a 40-minute video uh, kind of, outlining exactly how I best practices for managing family photos on the wedding day. The basically the order that I uh, do family photos in with parents and all of that, that I find really efficient, the questionnaire that I send the clients like the pre-wedding questionnaire that I send uh, some email templates that I send out. If I get clients that send me huge, huge shot lists, stuff like that, just stuff that actual wedding professionals hopefully uh, really find valuable and appreciate or you know, at least give them some, uh, you know, all photographers have their own workflow in place, but it's really important to expose yourself to the way other photographers do things because you might be able to maybe not replace your entire approach, uh, but like take little things that work for you and, and just overall make you better. So um, that's an example. You know, a 40-minute video takes a, a while for me to make and edit and put together. Um, uh, a lot of times, you know, really in-depth equipment reviews for new lenses or new camera systems that come out. That takes many, many, many hours to put together. And, uh, and then, of course, I have my own podcast. So we have episodes that usually, we average about twice a month that we get a new episode out. And okay. I only exclusively post those to Patreon. I, I don't post them publicly very often at all anymore. So, yeah, those are some examples. Um, it's, Interesting. it's whatever you want.
0: I'll definitely have to check that out. I was going to ask you. So um, one of the things that I noticed in your video is that yep. everything is asymmetrical. okay so my question is do you i actually had to write this down do you do you think most photographers are somewhat ocd about that (laughs) yes i think so because i like you know i i when i watched your video like literally every like everything was perfect my wife same exact way (laughs) like everything has to be you know her thing is, you know, she does lines, and I'm like, I never even noticed yeah. it. For years, I didn't notice it. And she was like, there's sure. lines in everything that I – you, how do you not – like, I just don't have that eye, right? I don't have that
1: – Yeah, I, I just didn't notice it. So. Well, you develop it, and it's, it's surprising to me. You know, I've been shooting for years before I started doing any video work, and uh, it's surprising to me how difficult it is to do – you know, composition and video—it's so tricky because it's you know it's movement and it's motion and it's uh, it's just a whole new world of variables to consider, and it's so tedious because I do all the setup for my videos myself, yeah. and it's really tough to to film yourself in a way where the light is spot on, the audio is working well, like all these different variables. So many points of failure—it's crazy—and um, I often will record uh, an entire video and not realize, like, oh crap, it stopped. Recording, or I forgot to hit record on the audio side and have to redo the entire thing, you know. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so, a pain, yeah, yeah, it's a pain, it's brutal. All right, so,
0: um, all right, so tell me about you know, uh, you you said obviously mean, we hit on the travel part. What do you travel mm-hmm. more for weddings, or are you more local? Meaning, when I say local, United States,
1: yeah, I would say um uh, about half my weddings I travel for, you know. Okay. by just by being pretty known in the educational side of wedding photography. I get a lot of clients that are wedding photographers themselves getting married. Uh, and I tend to travel for those. Those are the ones that tend to, you know, have the budget for travel. Uh, cause that's, that adds at least, you know, 700 to to $1,000 normally if it's in the U.S. Sure. I'm lucky again in this region I've access to three different airports so I can almost always get a direct flight wherever I need for a pretty reasonable cost and uh, yeah so maybe half my weddings I travel for and the other half are within a drivable distance. I would say also half my clients are just completely normal people that I have no clue about anything in the wedding industry or what my experience and visibility is in the wedding industry. There's you know, federal government workers uh, that want creative wedding photos and found me on Google or through a friend or whatever, um, and then, like I said, the other half tend to be really uh, passionate photographers or professional wedding photographers themselves. So
0: that actually yeah, makes a lot of sense. Healthy. That's mm-hmm. such an interesting. That's so interesting, guys. It got to be, yeah. You know, the conversation is entirely different between you and and, and someone who knows who you are and then the federal person who has no idea they just love your pictures. Yes. Such a different conversation.
1: It tends to be uh wedding photographers when they hire me, we really we will maybe do a 10 minute call just to be like, hey yeah we want to hire you we love, we've been following your work for years like we're done and i'm like great and then i show up and they're just like yeah i'm like do you want photos of your rings or anything they're like you do you whatever you want i'm like okay this is perfect uh but i get plenty of clients on you know the other side of that that need their hand held a little bit with timeline guidance and uh you know um just they have no idea about anything in the industry and, and they need help or uh they need recommendations for other vendors and you know, I can kind of help and lend my expertise through all the different parts of the day and you know it tends to be an hour-long client meeting and we do an engagement session to get them comfortable in front of the camera and all that kind of stuff so I like it I like having those two extremes in terms of clients that uh, are super easy to work with and clients that are really difficult to work with it kind of uh, keeps me in my my place <laughs> for sure
0: for sure yeah. now when you do client meetings if it's Let's just say it is a local or it is local, you know, whatever, okay. within an hour. Do you okay. uh, do you do your client, your first meeting, do you do it via Zoom or do you go meet the client?
1: I used to insist and suggest right out of the gate, like only the option of meeting in person. And that worked really, really well. But uh, I think in general, people just became much, much more comfortable with uh, things like Zoom and Skype and FaceTime. Uh, that tends to be. The primary way now, um, so I still suggest I meet everybody for coffee, but nobody takes me up on it. That's very rare. <laughs> uh, I like it because you know, it's nice to get to know them, and um, it does take maybe you know two hours or three hours when you really add it all up to like get in the car, drive there, wait around, have the conversation, drive back. It's a it's a significant time investment for somebody who may not book you. But I would say I, the booking rate was significantly higher when I when I would meet people in person. They would they would always book virtually. Now, I don't know, maybe my booking rate is somewhere around 70% of people uh, where I have a, a phone call or a Skype call with them. Uh, many more people end up going in another direction just because they haven't put in that, that real time investment yet, but, which right. is fine. Sure. Uh, yeah, I always try and, you know, have a face-to-face thing. I want to make sure that they are, more more importantly than just liking my photos, comfortable with me as a human uh, and my personality being around them. Because, like I said, nobody is around you more after a photographer for eight or nine hours on your wedding day. So, uh, yeah, you want to have some visual sense of the person's mannerisms and, yeah, all that kind of unspoken body language thing That sure. comes with a Zoom call. Yeah. So, you
0: know, I wonder how, you know, you mentioned getting to know them and reading their body language and, and them getting to know you. I think that is super important because like you said, you're the you're the person that's going to be spending the most time with them. Uh, you know, you want, if it were me, I would want to know how you are as a person. If I'm going to spend eight hours with you on the most stressful day of your life, um, yeah. I want to know who I'm, who I'm dealing with. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause I'm sure you've had, I'm sure you've had brides that have things have gone somewhat South in their eyes, not necessarily with you and your pictures, but the day or whatever, give yeah. me an example of, of maybe one of those times do not obviously say a name, but give me an <laughs> example, example of a time that it was, it was like, it was almost a nightmare. And the reason I asked that is because I want any photographer that's listening to hear that you go through these same
1: things. Absolutely. hundred percent. I get so many photographers that uh, often say like, gosh, you're, you know, I wish I had clients that were as comfortable as yours in front of the camera. And like, we're, you know, could be posed really well and we're beautiful. And I'm like, I, I work through the exact same issues you do client personality wise uh problem it's so funny to me how the smallest thing can suddenly set somebody off on their wedding day versus if it was a normal day they would be like oh this is not a big deal at all Uh, a lot of times though uh, i see um, brides in particular have some unexpected uh, issue with the dress maybe there's like a crease in it where there wasn't during the fitting where it doesn't quite fit as well as um thought it would once they start moving in it and walking around it's shocking to me that there's no system in place for people when they try on a dress to actually go for a walk in it for like 10 minutes usually you're just standing there still in the dressing room and that's that's a that's a big problem because so many people i've seen like realize once they finally have the dress on they start walking down the hall like holy crap i'm not gonna be able to dance in this like this is incredibly uncomfortable (laughs) just because it's way too large or it's way too tight or whatever they keep stepping on it. Like, it's so funny. Funny, and not necessarily ha but just strange <laughs> right. that there's no no mechanism. And so, so I see that often. People, you know, get the dress on and they're just like, "Oh my gosh, uh, like one of the buttons is isn't buttoning right. Like this is a, this is a disaster. Uh, we need to take an hour to go get it like fixed." Blah blah. blah. Anyway, um, yeah, and you just kind of have to tell people like this is par for the course. Like, yeah, we're 20 minutes late. We're we're on time in wedding world. This is fine. <laughs> uh, sure. And I'm very very quick to give up in my selfish portrait time with a couple i mean if they want to move everything around and and, you know give me an hour of portraits that's fine but usually if anything does go wrong that eats into photo time first that's the very first thing that gets cut which kind of sucks but i've gotten really good at just like you know what if all we have is five minutes boom we're gonna we're gonna do these portraits in five minutes i'm gonna just pedal to the metal uh you know give them tons of directions so we can get through things quickly and then you know we we Or on time again hopefully um yeah it's hard for me to like think of exact stories because uh you know I've done almost 400 weddings at this point so my memories I just let weddings kind of flow through me I'm very present in the moment and then afterward it just you know I forget about all the the stressful bad things like literally I I can't think if somebody else brought it up of course I'd remember it but I don't have like a, a short list of horror stories thankfully and honestly I think that's also a result of the personalities I get. I occasionally get really stressful clients, uh, like in their personality, very type A, you know, really controlling. But the vast majority tend to be pretty great to work with for me. And I think that's just the result of my work being very creative. Like that's going to draw people in that want me to take control and like do my thing to create the, the creative shop. Like, they sure. don't know how to do that. They hired me specifically because they can't do that and don't know anybody else that can. So that, I think, brings with it personalities that are um, pretty relaxing. Oh, I will tell you a story from, like, two weeks ago. Okay. This is hilarious. I get there, and the groom is freaking out. I'm, like, trying to get the elevator up to his apartment. He's like, oh, uh, yeah, I'll be down in, in just a few minutes. We're having a crisis. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, take your time. It was, like, a locked elevator, so I couldn't do anything but wait. 30 minutes later, he finally comes down and lets me in. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, I've been sitting here for 30 minutes. I didn't say that, but I was just like, that was a long time. What's going on? Is there anything I can help with? And he's like, yeah, I just sent my my uh, groomsmen. He only had two groomsmen, so that's simple. Sent them to uh, Staples. It's like, oh, what happened? It's, you, know, you get, like, whiteout or you need whiteout for something? Like, uh, something gets stained? Like, what's going on? He's like, my vows, my vows, I wanted to, I wanted to put my vows on the index cards. It's like, okay that's thoughtful. That's a really nice, clean way to read your vowels instead of just a piece of paper or an iPhone. He's like, yeah, but they don't fit. I needed bigger index cards. Like, I am so upset. I'm like, you're freaking out about your vowels being glued to index cards. And what was really funny about that was this was like two hours of him just being like, I'm so fuzzled, I'm so stressed. But his wife like didn't even care about things. She read it off the paper that was printed from their printer. I'm just like, it's so strange to me that this one He must have just had this vision of him, for months now, like reading his vows off of well glued index cards, and it's just like, why does that matter at all? Or or it's so simple. Why the
0: hell didn't you think of that before the wedding day? If it was that important.
1: That too. I mean, I mean, really, index cards, but they were like the wrong size, I guess, and at the end of the day it's like okay but she still read hers off of a normal piece of paper like there was no reason to like insist if anything he should have just gone with the piece of paper so they would have matched like it was just the silliest thing and he literally even wrote me a follow-up email like hey thank you so much for being really calming and i know i was really stressed when you arrived for the first couple hours with the index cards and i'm just like what a strange thing to be so proud (laughs) but weddings are like that weddings really you know people have you know, a moment in their head that they have thought of oftentimes for years that they expected to occur. And when that slips away, uh, that's all they can think about, you know, is like, what can I do to make that moment happen? That's an unfortunate perspective to have sometimes, because then you're not aware and mindful of what is actually happening, the stuff you can't and didn't anticipate happening and like being appreciative of that, that unfolding. Uh, That's what you really want to embrace. So. So you're no, so right,
0: you know, and, if, yeah. and once they think about that, whatever that negative thing is, you know, it perpetuates. into. It can overwhelm you. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. 100%, you know, and it's your wedding day. Like, is it really that? Look, if you spilled something all over your shirt that's red. Okay. That might be a problem. That's yeah. like, a, that's a problem,
1: but. But
0: index card, not so much. I don't know.
1: Anyway, that's interesting. It's almost always something like that. It's almost always like this small thing, like, uh, you know, a necklace that the bride was thinking about wearing uh, that gets like a crink in it or whatever, and she can't wear it anymore. It's like, well, I don't know. It, everybody has their own priority, and you need to be sensitive to to somebody freaking out and just really have that calming presence so that they can get back to the, the point where, you know what, you're here with all your friends and family. Everybody made it safely. Everybody's here to, to, you know, support you physically by, by being here. Like that is what matters not, uh, you know, you're, yeah, that's your bow tie not being tied. Perfectly so in that's that.
0: interesting that, you know, one of the things that you said that I think is super, super important is that, you know, you said that you stay present when you're at the wedding, and then once you leave, it's over for you. Meaning, like, you don't carry the wedding home with you, which I think I would be willing to bet a lot of people do, Do they do carry the wedding home, they dissect it, whatever, they, but you're able to just, you're there, you're in the moment, you do your thing, and then it, it's over. I think that's a sure. great way to do it,
1: yep. dude. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of photographers try and sort of uh, like literally befriend their clients and like actually treat them as if they're actual friends of theirs. And I used to try and have that too. And uh, it's just not practical when you have, you know, if you shoot, let's say 30 weddings a year, that's 60 people that are your client. That's, that's a heck of a lot of friends to keep up with. Um, They are, I am their best friend when I'm working with them in the moment, uh, via phone call, via engagement session on their wedding day. I'm 100% absolutely their best friend. And then once it's over, they're not, <laughs> you know, I still take care of them professionally and customer service wise and all that. But uh, yeah, I do not hang on to anything, uh, especially the stressful problematic things that maybe went wrong. Like it just, you just let it go and, and you move on to the next thing. And thankfully I've gotten really good at my job. Like I know I'm never going to deliver a gallery that somebody is completely unhappy with. So there's a certain degree of confidence that comes with doing this The longer you do it, the more, you know, the more you can be sure, of your product and uh and that makes it easier i think to also let go of oh we didn't get the sunset light the way we planned you know it's, right. some photographers if it's their first season like they're dying to have the perfect light at every wedding because they, they need that in their work um to get the next wedding but for me i'm like yeah but well, we got awesome nice shot uh, night shots you know i took them out well, night photos we didn't get any at sunset but it's all good <laughs> right. i got awesome night photos and they are gonna love that i'm sure so yeah
0: so uh Okay, so what do you think, um, when you first started out, were were your clients, the clients that you have now, meaning uh, the looks of them, the are, are they more picturesque now than they were then? And the reason I asked the question is because everybody starts out somewhere, right? And usually people start out shooting families or people that maybe they don't necessarily want to shoot but they do it because that's, they're trying to get into the industry. Well, uh, so how do you go from shooting the people that you don't really want to shoot to shooting people that are amazing?
1: Does that make sense? Uh, all has to do with price. You know, the more you charge, uh, and, and I started like anybody else, $500 for a full wedding. Um, You know, even though I had worked professionally at the press club for years, I was a professional photographer, but I had never photographed weddings. You charge what your experience allows for. After that first wedding, the second wedding uh, that I had a friend reach out for, I charged a little bit more, seven fifty, because I knew more about what was going to happen. And over time, you know, I just ramped it up. Once you get clients that are spending five thousand, you know, thousands of dollars for your wedding, they care more about the photos like that just the territory generally i mean occasionally i get people where i'm still just a, a check box that they're listing but it's all in your pricing if you're stuck in that two thousand to three thousand dollar zone uh kind of the, the mid zone where at least in my market that's the middle of the, the market um you're getting people that often just are having you because you're supposed to have a photographer at your wedding and maybe they just really don't care about pictures but when you charge double that they photos are are usually like their priority. Like that's the thing they care the most about. Um, I would say the look and uh, personalities of my clients has remained virtually unchanged. It's just the quality of the wedding overall uh, with maybe a nicer venue or a more professional planner with a better uh, timeline, buffer time and, you know, plan B's all in place and all that kind of stuff tends to make things a little bit easier. But yeah, the more you charge, the more people uh, tend to care, but there is a turning point. You can also charge, start charging way too much where now you're in this other echelon of uh um, you know personalities and people that, that maybe are a lot more high maintenance and I try and avoid that too. <laughs> so you don't want to do charge you, too much either.
0: Like how do you decipher what that cut off what, what that cutoff point is to where you get the people that you really, really, really want,
1: uh I guess trial and error maybe. But trial and error. Yeah. 100 percent Yep so to your, to your- I, i've i've had weddings where i are years that i charge you know a thousand dollars more than what i started now that's the other thing you have to remain you know it's so hard to accept sometimes even as a successful like established photographer that like you know what i need to lower my prices i'm just not booking enough weddings i'm not booking the kinds of weddings that i want like i i I need to lower my prices and that can be a, a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people, but I'm happy to, if, if I've, I've had to do that before, and then I've had to raise prices back up again. It's just, you know, just you can't always be thinking about growth and making more money. You need to be thinking about, you know, your actual, you know, the quality of you know, what you're doing in your life, <laughs> not just how much you're making. Hopefully that makes some sense. Yeah, no, that yeah, does it does. A lot of trial and error.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, you made a good point
0: about, you know, the people that spend double, they care more. It's almost a good example I like to give people is, you know, if you buy a Rolex watch, you're going to take care of that Rolex watch 10 times better than if you bought uh, a Timex watch. Yes. Because it absolutely the value is there. And so, yeah, that makes 100% sense.
1: Totally makes sense. Um, um, it also translates into uh, sales later on, you know, people are more likely to print their photos when they've invested so much in them and share them with friends and family. Like it just, yeah, you, you really want to break out of the low budget clients as quickly as you can. And uh, you know, I'm fine to occasionally shoot, you know, I've shot weddings for free still for friends or people in need. Like I still do that occasionally, but you, you really want to ramp up to the, the mid to high or, you know, Middle market to mid-high part of your market as, as quickly as you're able. And, sure. Uh, you know, once you've got a season under your belt, like you should, you should be there. But
0: yeah, no, I, I think,
1: I yeah, I agree. But I think I also think that
0: a lot of photographers, um, for whatever reason, the the confidence level, is struggle. At least I, I, I
1: think that the good, a better portion struggle than not. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. That's just the nature of what we discussed earlier. It's one of the difficult jobs in the in the country, perhaps <laughs> right. most stressful and, and technically very, very difficult, you know, and, and it's sort of the perfect interception of, of art and artistic expression and technology, right. It's very, very technical uh, oftentimes. And, and you want to hit that perfect interception of both of those. And a lot of photographers only have like, you know, um, confidence and, and, uh, skill set in one or the other but like you really want to if you can really balance the the artistic side of photography with the technical side equally um the world just unlocks for you but a lot of people are afraid of the technical aspects of photography a lot of people are afraid of the uh the emotional artistic expression side. so uh it's tough but um, yeah, the longer you do it, the easier it gets. Like anything else. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So,
0: uh, we, yeah, we talked about you uh, testing out different brands. I don't know if you ever said what brands do you what brands do you test and
1: how often do you mm-hmm. do that. So I shot Nikon, uh, basically everything Nikon uh, for ten years. I used a lot of Sigma lenses as well, because Sigma makes lenses for all brands. And then um, I switched last year to Canon with their new mirrorless system. So I have been rotating through a ton of new equipment because Canon being that it's a brand new mirrorless system that they launched, uh, they've been launching a lot of new lenses to go with it. Um, so I'm, I'm all in on Canon now. I still try a lot of Sony stuff here and there and I'll buy stuff and try it and return it often. Um, so I'm all over the place. I don't have brand loyalty in any one name. I'm all about whatever works the best for my brain, my, my workflow, uh, that's what I use. So, and then Apple, everything else for my actual computer, sure, and phone and watch, and all that stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so yeah, okay. Right now I'm sitting in uh, Canon. I shoot the EOS R, two of them, and, uh, and a couple of their newer lenses, which are obscenely expensive. They are getting crazy with their lens costs. <laughs> really? So, give
0: me an idea. I don't
1: know. I have a lens uh, that's a 28 to 70 f2.0. So, it's a zoom lens. Um, but it's really, really amazing in terms of its performance and sharpness and all that. Uh, it's two thousand nine hundred dollars just for the lens.
0: Holy cow!
1: Yeah, that, that is one, Which is yeah, I've got another lens from them. It's a fifty millimeter f one point two, and it was two thousand four hundred dollars. So just the one lens, like all. I think actually all of my lenses that I purchased have been more expensive than the new camera body. The body was only twenty two hundred bucks. <laughs> really, but. Um, yeah, strangely, it's it's really funny, but the lens, the glass and the lenses that they're putting out are super um, noticeably different, better than their previous generation uh, from from years ago. So there's there's justification to the price, It just it really hurts. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So there's a so there's a camera that
0: that uh, I, I don't know if it's out yet or not, but it the guy was telling me about a camera that has Lightroom.
1: Yes installed it's a a zeiss i believe it's a zeiss um it's not out yet it's not out yet Um, i think it's got a fixed lens 35 millimeter full frame sensor it's called the zx1 and uh, it was announced around this time last year but uh no word on actual release date i'm actually gonna check out their website now and see if they've updated it but uh yeah i think it's yeah it's just a check for availability and we'll email you nobody knows but it is fascinating and that is an exciting direction to take things i would love to see my preset applied in the moment while i'm shooting yeah that's That's
0: wild wild. so in fact
1: uh, one of the biggest issues that photographers are facing now is shareability you know it takes so much effort to get the image off the camera edited the way you want and then into people's virtual world compared to a phone where you can just text it to somebody or airdrop it instantly but that's what you need in a camera is the ability to just like yeah you want this photo here boom airdrop done like they they really need to figure that out or it's going to be a problem eventually um, people want their stuff you know now <laughs> of course
0: absolutely absolutely um what else okay so uh I, and i'm not sure if, if you check the time um Your your girlfriend's a photographer.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nessa. So,
0: okay. Yeah. Tessa, right? You said?
1: Nessa. Nessa, Nessa.
0: Nessa right. Yep. So um, does she shoot the same? Does she shoot weddings also? And you do you shoot together? Does. How does that yep.
1: work? We almost never shoot together. Okay. <laughs> uh, we met with independent, independently. Established businesses, so we've never felt the need to uh, combine them for any reason. We have shot together before, but only because it happened to work out for our schedules. We don't sell that as a you know an option. Um, she has a very different approach to everything she does uh, compared to me, so it's it's great to have somebody who has a similar schedule and can you know talk about things. You know, not, with coming from a place of experience and knowledge uh, we can talk about all the sorts of issues and equipment and all, all that kind of stuff but we have different stories and different clients at the end of the day which really keeps it interesting and, and fun no so. question yeah so
0: do you find that you guys you know it's funny because you know aud and i were talking last night and, and were were they down and, and she, she said well i don't really want to talk about something to do with work and I said, yeah, that's really all we talk about like we don't really have much conversation outside of what we do on our day-to-day basis. Do you find that that's the same thing with you and Nessa?
1: Yeah, I would say that's probably accurate. Yeah, for sure. And we both work from home. So we're, we're often, you know, physically close to each other, which is also important because, you know, with the amount of travel that I do, if she also had a day job, uh, it would be, I would never see her. Just literally, I would never see her, and it would be a problem. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, so it's really beneficial and important that we both work from home, and neither of us are traveling. Yeah, yeah. Great. So your next two
0: uh, shoots are they local, or are you traveling for those?
1: They're both in uh, DC, I think. Yeah. Okay. I've got one down in DC tomorrow, and. And the next one uh, just after Christmas, that's actually more like middle of Maryland, but nothing, uh, yeah, nothing too far. I don't travel uh, again until um, in the January. I'll be in Puerto Rico, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I got weddings in Florida and Texas and uh, the UK and all over the place, New York City. Yep. Where is the most, well,
0: we'll wrap up with, with this, but where is the most
1: exciting place that you've been? Where was the
0: place that you went and you're like, man, I am so lucky that I got to come here?
1: New Zealand, I would say. Oh, I bet. Up there. Yeah, that was absolutely beautiful. Uh, the groom found my work because I had been to New Zealand uh, with my with my friend Tucker on one of our trips. Okay. And uh, I photographed tons of landscape work and tagged it as like Lord of the Rings landscape or some keywords that groom found my work and was like, oh man, I would love to come. I, I wish you could come shoot my wedding. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I, I'll do that. I'm totally happy to. And we looked at pricing and all that and we made it happen. So uh, that was you know, they paid my full rate plus travel. It was incredible.
0: That's fantastic. That is fantastic. So, if there's so, uh, one, where can people find you? I definitely wish you to say, tell us that.
1: So, I usually send people uh, three places either just my website, samherdphotography.com, and that's heard spelled H U R D, or uh, Instagram, which is I am the Sam because uh, I am Sam is always taken on every site <laughs> so I added a the. I am the Sam that's where I'm most active on like social media and such uh, is Instagram and then uh, yeah Patreon just patreon.com slash Sam Bird uh, anybody who does any type of creative output not just photography not just podcasts any output illustrators musicians YouTubers should check out Patreon It's it's literally changed my life and I, I can't say enough good things about it that's incredible. Okay. Um, and then the last thing I'll ask you is, you know, to
0: uh, anybody that's listening, that's a photographer, what's something that you could t- tell them that would help them with their job? What would is something just maybe a quick nugget of something that you, uh, you know, that you you see early photographers, let's just say, struggle with what's some advice that you could give them
1: figure out your workflow your literal computer like how you import backup and edit so many people uh have just not properly configured i mean this is maybe not that interesting because it's sort of a technical thing but it's so important it's so easy to do if you just sit down and take the hour to set up lightroom properly it should not be slow it should not take you you know, two seconds to go from one image to the next and wait for it to load. And that is such a pain point that I see. I can't believe some of the the slowness that photographers put up with. And when you're shooting weddings, you're talking thousands of images. You have to get your workflow. Um, yeah, just sort it out. And and not just for speed, but also for, for just practices in terms of backup and having redundant copies of all your work. I have four copies of every wedding that I shoot once I've imported and everything is properly you know, set up in Lightroom. Four copies, including one in the cloud. Uh, there is zero excuse for lost wedding images, in my opinion now, unless you're literally robbed uh, as you're walking to your car from the wedding. You know, not much you can do about that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so that, that's the biggest thing. I see so many photographers struggle for years uh, with just the simplest thing because they didn't take the, the hour to sit down and properly learn Lightroom.
0: Yeah. Oh, I would say that's huge. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. Um I cannot imagine losing image the losing part of a wedding or losing the whole wedding. I mean I'm sure you've heard horror oh, stories.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's devastating. This is these are priceless photos. And uh or if you know, eventually they would be priceless photos as people pass away and, and I don't know, you know, time goes on. All weddings become priceless to somebody and uh, wow. there's no excuse for losing. Them. <laughs> no. So you got to sort that stuff out. Do you not, and don't skimp on, you know, hard drives like storage. It's a little expensive, but it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. Like buy the external drives, get the, the second drive, never keep one copy of everything. Like, What you
0: know, kind of hard drive would you suggest? What kind of
1: external hard drive do you use? Uh, my favorite thing is actually, so I've got a big like multi-thousand dollar thing that I use from a company called Promise. It's called the Pegasus. Uh, it's like a RAID array of six different drives. That one's pretty great. But I also really, really love these. These are made by uh, uh, Samsung. You can see it on the webcam, but for people listening, it's called the Samsung T5. And they're solid state drives and no moving parts, SSD drive, uh, USB and USB-C. Um, a couple hundred bucks and get a terabyte. I think they make them up to two terabytes now. I've got like four or five of these floating around that I just keep redundant copies on of everything I shoot. And, uh, solid state is, is always the way to go, in my opinion. No Gosh. moving. It's really no small too.
0: Dude. Really small. Wow. Yeah, it's
1: okay. Oops, I just dropped it. <laughs> yeah. It's like credit card size. It's amazing. Yeah. And so now that you dropped it, is there a chance that it could be messed up? No, not at all. No, no, no. That, that's the thing. They're no, it's solid state. So there's no moving parts. That's crazy.
0: I did not know that they even made such a thing. So that's awesome. I think that's huge.
1: Yeah, it's basically, you know, unless it cracked or like you, you know really dropped it from a height, uh, it's like a memory card for your computer. Like if you drop an SD card on the ground, it's not going to break. It must, right. like drop some water. It gets dirty or something like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, also there's nothing important on this particular one <laughs> but, <laughs> just to clear that up <laughs> yeah just to make you sure no, no wedding clients are pre- <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> all right well sam i cannot thank you enough for spending you know i don't we've spent i don't even know how they don't even know what time we started but either way thank you i really really appreciate it, dude and i know the listeners are really going to enjoy this because i don't you know i've interviewed a bunch of people that you know, but nobody in this space. So awesome! Good. super excited to to publish this. It's probably going to be a few weeks because like I said, I've got I literally have, oh, I yeah. I know so many it. people. So, <laughs> uh, but I'll let you know when it drops and uh, and thank you so much. Have an awesome freaking day, okay. dude. If you need anything from yeah, me ever, just reach out and let me know and I'll be happy to help.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: I want to thank you again for tuning into the successful life podcast. If you have not already subscribed, please do. And look, if you really enjoyed today's episode, email me at successful life podcast at gmail.com and tell me what it was you enjoyed. And if there's somebody that you want me to bring on, then email me about that and tell me who it is. And I'll make sure it happens. So, you know, leave us a review, tell a friend. And until next time, folks, have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast.